Good morning. Good to see everyone out today. Appreciate all those that are here. Always good to be in the house of the Lord on the first day of the week. I appreciate the opportunity to study with you this morning. I will invite you to stay for lunch. We'll have, we'll have lunch downstairs immediately after services, and then we'll have an early afternoon services. I invite you to uh, partake in both of those. This morning's study takes us back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis 1. During the last few days, we've encountered several emotions at our homes. Around last Tuesday, we started getting forecasts of an approaching winter storm, which immediately uh, brought questions and, and panic and fear that we were about to go through uh, 2021 all over again. We all thought of, oh, last February, Snowmageddon, here it is again. And on Wednesday, our local businesses started getting nervous as we needed to plan for, uh, for the, the rest of the week and, and what we were going to do to keep operations going. Are we going to close offices? Are we not going to close offices? So we made necessary preparations on Wednesday night, and we all went to bed, and we crossed our fingers that Thursday was not going to be as bad as it was last year. And fortunately, it wasn't. But we were still shut in for a few days, which brings a lot of I'm bored comments from our children. There's only so many times you play Uno and, and Skip Bow, and then everyone just becomes bored. Hopefully you enjoyed a few slower days um, at the house. Hopefully you got to go play in this winter weather. Hopefully you got some nice pictures of you and your family all bundled up playing and sledding. That was always fun to do. But I really hope that you spend a few minutes looking out the window and praising God for his beautiful creation. We receive so little snow in this part of the country that when we do receive it, I can't help but stare. I just slow down and I take in the beautiful scenery. I can't help but stare and marvel of the beautiful landscape that is covered in this white blanket of snow. I hope that you spend time praising God for his beautiful artwork. I hope that you see great landscapes and you see God. I hope that you see that beauty and you think of God your creator. I hope you spend time uh, thinking of God as you look across uh, fields of wildflowers. You look at snow-covered mountaintops. You look at that ultra-clear aqua blue waters, what we find in the deep oceans. That you look at the depths of the Grand Canyon, that you look at waterfalls and rainforest, and you look at those bends, those bends in those raging rivers. We've all seen these things, and we've all commented on their beauty, on their uniqueness. I hope that when you see these great landscapes that you think of God, I hope that you praise God for his wonderful creation. Our study this morning takes us back to the beginning of the Bible and all the way back to the beginning of time. Genesis 1 is one of those chapters that's it's one of the most read chapters in the Bible. It's one of the most referenced chapters in the Bible. It's one of the most straightforward chapters in the Bible because, because it's so straightforward, a lot of people struggle with it. 
And a lot of folks struggle believing that this, this straightforwardness and, and all these events that occurred could actually have happened that way. People struggle because it's so simple. All these great events in such a short period of time. And that leads me to my first point this morning. I want to make it very clear that God has an overwhelming power. The things that we'll discuss this morning are impossible for us. They're impossible for us, but they're not impossible for God. Do not overlook the pure power of God as we go through these days of creation. Understand that God is very powerful and that is displayed not just through his creation, but how he went about it. During sermons and during prayers, we often refer to God as many things. The most powerful, heavenly Father, a gentle and loving God, an all-knowing God. And then, as we often say, the creator of all things. And that's what we'll study today. The creation story, God the powerful, God the creator. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. I will have all the scriptures on the screen as well. Uh, we will stay focused on Genesis 1 and 2. We will not be going to, to other books and other chapters within the Bible. So if you do follow along, it's going to be very simple. Genesis 1. We'll start in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Oftentimes, we find ourselves driving to, um, to a place that we haven't been to in a long time. And you say things like, Wow, I, I don't remember that being there. Where did, where did all those buildings come from? Where did those homes and those shopping centers come from? That, that place has really grown up. And if you're a really old timer, then you can, you can look at complete cities, whole cities that didn't used to be there. That was just farmland and pastures. Look at Plano and Frisco and Bonham. I guarantee you there's people here today that remember that is just farmland. And now they're some of the largest cities that we have in Texas. This entire land that we live in was once dark and void. It was without form. There was once nothing here. Until God decided to create this world that we now call home. God created the heavens and the earth and then in verse 3 he spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And there we have day one. On day one, God created the heavens and earth and light. He called the light day and darkness night. Just as we refer to them today. So that takes us to day two. On day two, God created the firmament, which divided the waters. In other words, God created the sky. He created the atmosphere, which divided the water from the sky. On day three, on day three, God created the land. We'll read this in verse nine. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let 
dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. This is something that we understand, no matter what our age is, no matter how old that we are. As a young child, we spent hours upon hours in, in playing in dirt, building sandcastles, building dirt formations. We built mud pies. We threw dirt. We threw clods of dirt at each other. We dug in the dirt. We played in the dirt. And then as adults, we spend a considerable amount of time and energy trying to acquire dirt. We try to buy a home in this little sliver of land that we can call our own. And then we spend the rest of our time trying to maintain that land. On day three, God pushed aside the water and had dry land appear. He called the waters the sea and the land earth. Now this is where God starts to get creative. He now has his canvas and it's all ready for him. The heavens, earth, water, and land, and he has it all set up the exact way he wants it. And now he begins getting creative. God has this earth, but it's still plain. He creates grass and trees. God adds color to the landscape. He adds substance and depth to a dry land, and that concluded day three. As we move into day four, we see where God is continuing with his creativeness. God saw a need to have a sun and moon, a sun to provide a great light during the day and moon to provide less light at night. God also created the stars. Reading through the first three days, I think it's amazing to see the power of God. But this fourth day really brings into the complexity of our solar system. The sun, the moon, the stars, how they work, how they interact together, how we need them, and how we need them to work in a very specific way. All of these things were put into motion on day four. On day five, God made some living creatures, birds in the sky, and sea creatures. Let's read a few of these verses. And God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and and let birds fly above earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Sean, day five was an important day. Day five was a great day. Matter of fact, might have been one of my favorite days. It wasn't my favorite. We'll get to that in a minute. But it was my second favorite day. Do you know what happened on day five? God made the largemouth bass. What else did he create? The duck. There's many outdoorsmen here today that are very happy with day five. For those that don't care about fishing or hunting, and that's not in your wheelhouse, 
Maybe you like to cook. Maybe you like to grill. Maybe you like to barbecue. Well, then that, there we have day six. Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Day five and six were very important to those that enjoyed to fish and hunt. Deer, elk, bass, catfish, duck, and geese. All these things that we spent our time on. All these things that we enjoy hunting and fishing were created in these two days. A lot of people reference the cattle and beasts that were mentioned here specifically in the scripture. But what's often overlooked are the creeping things. You know how important those things are? All the spiders and snakes and centipedes and these creeping things. These things are so important to our ecosystem. They serve such a great purpose. We often overlook them. They're so important, but they do cause a lot of headaches at a house full of girls. These creeping things I spend a lot of time chasing down and trying to get rid of and out of the house. But that's not all God created on day 6, and we'll pick up in verse 26. Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God was especially busy on day 6. He also created man. Man was created in his own image, and given authority over the rest of the creatures that God created. Note here that we were created in God's image. There are various attributes that man possesses that is very different from the other creatures that God created. We have spirituality. We have a soul. This is very important and it's very different than the animals that God created. We have a soul that enables us to be saved. Once this old, tired body passes away, my soul will live on forever. The other things that make us different is the ability to speak. Morality, the, the, the sense of having right and wrong. Control over the earth. The word used here is dominion. Giving man the power uh, or right of governing and controlling. Man was designed to be the ruler over the land and the sea. The end of verse 28 says, Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was in charge. These plants and animals were designed to be for man and to be food to sustain life. God says at the end of this chapter, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. What's for dinner? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? What are we having for dinner tonight? Where do you want to go for dinner? What do you want to do for dinner? Who's making dinner? Food is the centerpiece of our lives. 
We focus so much on food. We get together and we eat. We plan events and we eat. We watch ball games and we eat. We plan food. We plan events just around the type of food that we're going to serve. We wake up and we eat. Some of you won't leave the house until you have stuffed your bag and your purse full of snacks. We eat. We eat a lot. We all love to eat, but figuring out what we're going to eat, it gets tiresome sometimes. You ask all the mothers here, and they will agree with this meme that pops up from time to time. Who knew that the hardest part of being an adult is figuring out what to cook for dinner every single night for the rest of your life until you die? This statement is so true. As you answer the question, what's for dinner for the eighth time that day? I can't help but think how simpler times were with the garden. As God provided every herb and every fruit to be food for Adam and all of the animals that he just created. What a blessing that that garden was. God created life and then he designed a way to sustain life. That's God's amazing craftiness at work. So that concludes Genesis 1. We're going to run right into Genesis 2. The first verse reads, Thus the heavens and earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. And with that we have the six days of creation summarized on this slide on day one we had night and day on day two we had the sky and the sea on day three we had land and vegetation on day four we had the stars sun and the moon on day five we had sea creatures and birds on day six we had animals and man and then on day seven god rested the next few scriptures tells us several interesting things all of those plants and trees that God created, they grew, but there was no rain. We have not been introduced to rain. Today we rely on rain for our plants and our trees to grow and produce and live. We rely on rain to fill our lakes to, to sustain our fish population, for other animals to drink. We rely on those lakes to fill up because we use them for running water in our homes. But rain was not needed here in Genesis 2. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. We rely on rain. We rely on water. We rely on rain to fill our lakes and provide drinking water. We, we have a heavy reliance on water to fill this earth so that everything can grow and everything can live. But God's perfect creation, it didn't need rain as he provided that mist to come up from the ground. The next section of Genesis 2, it talks about God's garden. We have all heard of the Garden of Eden. 
me ask you a question. Who planted the garden? Who planted the, all those gardens, um, all those trees, and all those bushes, and those herbs that we've talked about? Who planted those? It wasn't Adam. God created. God planted that garden. Verse 8 tells us that God planted the garden and made every plant and tree grow. Out of the ground, God made every tree grow, and that garden, it was pleasant to the eyes. It was a beautiful garden. I know that there are many of you, including my dad, who really enjoys nature. You have this love for nature. You just love being outside. We should all have a love of nature. Looking over a field of wildflowers, listening to the birds sing as they fly overhead. Looking over a pasture and you see all these cows and they're grazing, they're eating, they're growing. It's a beautiful thing. You know, every once in a while, my dad and I get to go fishing together. And we spend all this time trying to finally get out on the water. We finally get out on the water and we're fishing. So excited to go fishing. And I am, I'm hustling, I'm fishing. And I look back there and my dad's not even moving. Like, we thought we were going to go fishing. And he's got his feet crossed, his head down, and he's baking in the sun. And he says, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. Taking in God's handiwork. As you're driving around over the next few months and you see our roadsides covered in beautiful blue bonnets, thank God for his masterful creativity. Thank God for providing us such a beautiful land to enjoy. We can look around and we can see God's beauty all around us. And if you haven't seen it, then you're not looking hard enough. It's in plain sight, folks. <coughs> I can only imagine what the Garden of Eden looked like after God had finished planting that garden. Beautiful flowers and trees and plants. The next few verses discusses the river that God had put through Eden. The scripture says it split into four, into four river heads. I thought this was interesting. The more I researched these rivers, the more and more differing ideas that I ran across. But as you can see in these different pictures, there are several ideas um, on where the rivers flowed. I ran across several ideas, and, and although I can't tell you exactly uh, how they broke apart and which direction that they went. What I can confirm you is what verse 10 says. And it says, Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four. So we do know that it divided and became four. So we have a garden. We have a beautiful plants and trees that God planted. We have an abundance of water. And now we need someone responsible for tending that garden. And that's where man comes into play. Starting in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. I propose to you this morning that farming is the oldest occupation known to man. Going all the way back to creation here in the second chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 2... Man was put in the garden to be a gardener and to be a farmer. 
God provided a beautiful garden and an abundant source of food, and man was tended to maintain this garden. Man was intended to work. Adam was given a job, and he was expected to work so he could eat. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This commandment from God was a huge turning point for mankind. God put Adam in the garden to maintain it, and he gave him very few restrictions. God tells him that you can eat of every tree in the garden. You are free to eat all that you want of this garden. If it looks good, if it smells good, then eat it. Enjoy it. It's for you. I've created this for you. But there's this one tree. There's this one tree that you cannot partake in. And with that one statement, temptation was created. Temptation's tricky. Temptation puts that piece of chocolate cake right in front of your face and then tells you you can't have it. Temptation puts, puts you in the driver's seat of that sports car with a 30-mile-an-hour sign right in front of you. Temptation sends you out shopping for the day with no money left in your pocket. Temptation teases all of our desires. And with temptation, we have to make a choice. And with those choices, we have consequences to live with. God tells Adam that he can eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of knowledge. For in that day that you eat, you shall surely die. There's the temptation and there's the consequence. It's laid out very simple. A couple of things happen in the remaining verses in Genesis 2. First, God makes a statement that it's not good for man to be alone, and he is going to make Adam a helper that is comparable to him. God then proceeds to bring the animals and the birds to Adam for, for him to name them all. And verse 20 says, So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. I just have a feeling that something like this would take a while. Verse 19 tells us that God formed all these animals. Actually, it says that he formed every animal and brought them to Adam. And then Adam proceeds with naming all of them. I don't think that he lined them up and just started calling out names. You know, bear and, and cow and giraffe and lion and, and that one smells. We're going to call that one skunk. I, I, don't, I don't think it was quite that simple. Maybe it was. But even after that, Adam did not have a helper that was comparable to him. He didn't have someone similar to him. He was surrounded by all these animals and I'm sure that they, uh, they kept him busy. To some degree, but they were still animals, and they weren't like him. And then God made the best of the best. God saw that man needed help. Man knew that we were weak, and he knew that we would need help. He needed someone comparable to him, but still very different. 
God knew that us men needed assistance in, the, in this life. He knew that men needed help, a companion, a helpmate. He knew that we needed someone to balance us out. We needed someone softer and gentler and nicer, but still similar to us, but all of these wonderful and positive qualities. Verse 21 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And God said, This is now bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I think that this was a very special moment. For Adam. I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was very emotional. We have all seen those movies where this man and this woman they connect eyes um, from across a room from far away and then they live happily ever after. We've all seen and heard those stories of, of, of a man returning from the Navy and his girl is waiting at the port waiting for them, and they live ever happier ever after. We've all heard the stories of those high school sweethearts that, that reconnect years later and they live forever, happy and married. But Adam had something very unique happen. Adam had something occur that none of us men will ever experience. His wife was made for him using part of him. I love my wife, and I am proud of everything that she is. But God did not make her for me. God didn't put me to sleep and take a part of my body to make Katrina. I can only imagine the pride that Adam felt when he woke up and he saw his beautiful bride standing in front of him. The closest thing that we have to that is our children. We can look at our children that we conceived and we, we see ourselves in them. We're proud and we say things like, I made that. I did that. I think this is similar to how Adam felt when he woke up. He has this beautiful woman that was just made for him. And with that, we have man and we have wife. We have the institution of marriage. God tells us in verse 24 that man shall, cleave his, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The original and only God-approved institution of marriage is right here in the second chapter of the Bible. 55 verses into the Bible... Out of the entire Bible, it only took 55 verses to us for us to get introduced to the institution of marriage. God introduces us to the sacred bond of marriage between a man and a woman in the 55th verse. If you ever question the intent of marriage or the importance of marriage, if you ever question how important marriage is to God, if you ever question the true meaning of marriage and the intent of marriage only being between a man and a woman, then you need to revisit Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 
In the span of one chapter, God made man. God saw that he needed a companion, so he made woman. Then in Genesis 2 and 24, God says, Man shall be joined to his wife to become one flesh. And that within the first two chapters of the Bible in God's holy word. There's a lot of lessons that we can take from today's study. Genesis 1 and 2 is jam-packed of, of these important life lessons that we can apply to our lives, that we can learn from. Running through the list, we see that God is the master creator of the heavens and earth and everything in it. God's creation is beautiful. God created us to be engaged in productive work. God understands our needs as he created woman for Adam. God created the bond of marriage and intended it to be for a man and woman. But what I want to wrap up with this morning is to acknowledge how good God's creation is. We can look around us and we can see beauty. We can look around us and we see how perfect and complicated this universe is. We can look at our spouse and be thankful for God's creation. We see the hierarchy of, of animals and the importance of, of all of these insects, all these creeping things. We can see the vast depths of the sea and the millions of animals and fish and, and microorganisms that exist to make up this world. God's creation and all those things, how they come together and they work in unison. We can all go home to the garage and we can build something. I've attempted to build and put things together that just didn't work the way that I had imagined in my head. Husbands, you ever told your wives, oh, this will take 30 minutes? Hmm, sure. <laughs> Four hours later, eight trips to Home Depot. Many of you enjoy cooking and baking. You've all had those dishes that just didn't taste. They just didn't rise the way that you thought that they were going to. Man, Pinterest made this look so nice. We can all create something, but that doesn't mean that it's going to work. God created a masterpiece, a highly complicated masterpiece, and it functions perfectly just the way that he intended. I know that this is small, and you can't read it, but as we look through the entire chapter of Genesis 1, we see seven times that God said it was good. God said, let there be light, and he looked at the light and said, it was good. God created land and seas and said, it was good. God created grass, herbs, and trees and said it was good. God created night and day and the sun, moon, and stars and said it was good. God created sea creatures and everything that moves and said it is good. God created cattle and creeping things and said it was good. God looked at everything he created and he said it is very good. God is expressing his authority over the world that he has made. God created everything that he intended. God created everything in the way that he intended it to be. It was exactly as he designed it, and it was very good. I read through 
the scriptures that we have studied this morning, and I can't help but compare them to the times that we live in today. Through these chapters, we don't read about struggle. There was no struggle. We don't read about financial hardship. We don't read about a shortage of food, as God said he created all things in the garden for man and animals to sustain life. There's no mention of disagreements or kingdoms that were in battle. There's no wars across the seas in different countries. There's no bloodshed, there was no fighting, there's no sickness and no pain, there was no temptation yet. But why were things so perfect? Why were things so perfect? Why were things so peaceful? And the answer is because we have not been introduced to sin. We finish the first two chapters in Genesis and we read over and over again that God's creation was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. But that will soon change. God's creation is perfect and that will never change. But temptation will occur and sin will create a dramatic change to the life that Adam and Eve had in the garden. And for the rest of the story... Brent will pick up in Genesis 3 after we have lunch this afternoon. I've appreciated your attention this morning. And as you go by your day, each and every day, I hope that you can look around and see God's beauty. Look at his creation and enjoy his artwork and enjoy the things that he has provided for us. Um, the things that we can see and do and enjoy. It's all at the hands of God. We'll close this morning with a final song and if you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins, then we invite you to do that today. And if you need the prayers of the church, we'll be happy to pray with you. Uh, if there's one of either case, we just ask that you come as we stand and sing this invitation song. Three, two, one.